Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the updates on the great writers we have coming up over the next few weeks. And if you want to see photos of the studio and the cocktails getting made, check out my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please leave a comment. I want to hear about the writers you want to hear on this show. I've been getting a lot of great booking ideas from you guys. Welcome to Dedicated with Doug Brunt. You have just gained access to an exclusive insider's look at the lives and works of some of your favorite authors and hear conversations with the world's greatest writers as they discuss their writing lifestyle, creative process, latest work, and behind-the-scenes revelations. Welcome to Dedicated. I'm your host, Doug Brunt. Today, we're with Alex Astor. She has become a powerhouse in the young adult fiction category. One year after her college graduation, she signed with a literary agent and got her first publication deal soon after that. And she has not looked back. Inspired in part by the story she heard as a child from her Colombian grandmother, she now has two books out in the Emblem Island series and now her second book in the Light Lark saga. The latest is called Nightbane, which I was just at the airport at LaGuardia a couple days ago and is prominently featured. So Alex, you're everywhere and we're thrilled to have you here today. Welcome. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I wish I could see that because for many, um, about a year for Light Lark, I went to the airport looking for it. I never found it. And then I found Nightbane once. So I think I would have just like, you know, Turn into a puddle if oh, I'd I wish seen it I, prominently featured. You know, I, I had this moment of telling yeah. my kids, like, oh, I'm going to be with her next <laughs> oh, week. That's so nice. Suddenly yeah. I have to book a flight out of LaGuardia. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me. I love the podcast, so it's really going to be fun to see see me on there. Oh, this on is, the and we're just getting, yeah. I mean, wait till we get the martinis yeah. going here. So you are you have picked the espresso martini, yes. which I confess, I've never made one of these before. Oh, okay. I've had them, but I've never made them. Okay, but cool. Anything in the martini family, I'm, I think I can make. <laughs> okay, great. So we've got vodka and Kahlua. And we just brewed some fresh espresso here oh, in the okay. Sirius XM kitchen. Ooh. So then I'll go in there. Um, I have uh, I have always wanted to see someone out, yeah. you know, as they say, in the wild, reading one of my books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Has that happened to you yet? It has not. Um, it has not happened where I didn't know the person. Um, and I've had, like, people I know, like, read the book next to me, um, mm. which is always an awkward experience. <laughs> but, no, I haven't. I, I think, again, that would be another moment that would make me, like, melt into a puddle. Um, yes, I'd have to stop yeah. the person and be like, yeah. do you mind if we do a selfie? Oh, and... I 100% would do that. Um, oh, what I have seen, though, is I've been in bookstores just to go, like, visit my books or sign my books. And I've just been walking around and seeing people, like, holding my book and, like, 
buying it or like going to the cash register with it. And I always, I'm like, I wrote that book. And oh, they're, I, they're like, like subtly nudging, like, you should totally get that one. I heard it's amazing. <laughs> I'm not that subtle. I'm like, oh my gosh, I wrote, I wrote that book. And I go up to them. They're like, oh, oh please get away from me. No, they're always really nice. Uh, so it's, it's really cool to see people getting your book in the wild. I have not seen anyone read it. But that's probably because I'm not really in the wild as much as I should be. I'm more just like, like all good writers, yes. you're back at home working on the next one. Yes, if I was out and about more, maybe I would see it. Thank you so much. This looks awesome. Thank you. Now, there's no obligation to finish Cheers. this one. It's a big, <laughs> fat martini. Oh. Cheers. It's great to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Okay. Oh, this is awesome. Thank mm, you so much. That is tasty. Great. Wow. It is. You can really taste the coffee. You have to be careful sipping because there, there are coffee beans in oh. there, too. I almost <laughs> took one down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I read you have a twin sister. Yes. And you guys grew up in Florida. Yes. And your parents had an auto dealership, I think. And I think yes. I read that you guys were on the billboard <laughs> yes. advertisements for the yeah. car dealership there in Florida. Yeah. So my mom immigrated here from Columbia when she was in her 20s. And my dad um, started just washing cars in a dealership. He didn't go to college. His like family couldn't afford it. And so he just worked his way up from a dealership until he had a dealership. And, um, of course, having twins, I think that they thought, oh, my gosh, like let's put them everywhere <laughs> for the dealership. <laughs> and so that was it was definitely embarrassing um, when we were children, but we really felt like anything we could do to help, you know. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, so identical twin sister. It's interesting growing up with a twin. We could not be more different. Um, we went to different colleges, and I think it was great for us to kind of grow independently. Um, but she was always my first reader when we were I think 12, 13, when I was first writing my first book, she was the only person I would give it to. And she would be like, I love this. And was she writing too? Or she no, just loved to read no. though? Um, she, she just liked to read. And I would give her the chapters. And actually, Lightlark, years before it was published, it was a totally different book with the same title, um, but just a different plot. And mm -hmm. she was the one who was just like, give me the next chapter. I want to write, read the next chapter. And so um, she's really been supportive of um, my writing since we were kids, because having a twin, it's like also your best friend. Um, so I, I kind of used her as my early reader so when we were you said like identical. Is, does that hold yes. to this day? If she walked um, in here right now, would I be able to tell you apart? Yes, I definitely think you could tell us apart. Um, we look identical when we were little kids. So okay. when you look at a photo album, we we still can't tell each other apart. Wow. We don't we don't know. Um, but now I think we look different. Did you play all kinds of tricks back in the day with uh, teachers and parents? And... We tried, but really kids are so smart. They knew if we would try to switch, like the kids in the classroom would know, but the teachers wouldn't know us that well. So mm -hmm. they they would wouldn't really understand but the kids would be like what what are you doing here Alex That's funny. Or, they had yeah. a sixth sense to do it yes yeah, so yeah. we we never really did it um but it was always really interesting I think it makes you want to be different and so I think we actively just chose different paths and we actively just wanted to do different things I think like even if she had wanted to become a writer she would have not wanted to because I was a writer and so I think it's really interesting growing up with someone your exact same age it, mm -hmm. it really is cool and then when we were separated for college it was it was difficult but but I do think, again, it allowed us to grow um, and for us to become independent people. Because yeah. when you're really, you look the same as someone and you're growing up the same and the same age and you're going through the same stuff, it's it's tough to kind of become an individual. Did it make you strive harder to do that? Because I, I'm, there must yeah. be something exceptional and ambitious in the gene pool. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I read your sister has founded some yeah. company that... She has a media company. Yeah. You know. So I think what happened was... 
for her at least, I was always really academically motivated. I really wanted to go to a, a good college. I spent my entire life as like a middle schooler, a high schooler trying to get straight A's. I was that person that really studied a lot. And school wasn't necessarily easy for me, but I just, I would study all the time. I would study until four o'clock in the morning. And so I really had a goal of going to a really good school. Um, my sister, she had trouble learning. Um, and she's talked about this a lot. Like she had trouble, um, she had ADHD and so it was difficult for her. And so I think we were constantly being compared in the classroom of like, oh, your sister is like this great student. And you for a while, she wasn't excelling as much. And she definitely did like turn everything around. And she um, was able to get really good grades at the end of high school. But I think for her, that um, made her want to prove herself in a different way. Um, and I think that's really sad when siblings get compared in that way, especially twins, um, because obviously they're going to be different. And so I feel bad that we were compared um, because, again, I wasn't it wasn't that I was just so you know academically gifted it was truly because I just yeah. really wanted to go to a good school uh, so I worked really hard but if in I think in terms of our drive um, we both knew at a very young age that we if we wanted to pursue our passions we were gonna have to work really really hard yeah. to do them and we both started pursuing our passions well at school so I think when she was seeing me write these books she was like I want to do something you won't like hang out with me because you're busy doing this I'm gonna do my own thing so I think we fed off of each other's I guess, motivation to do something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's really different because we are so different yeah. in personality. A lot of our friends or my friends who will meet her are like, you could not be more different. But I think what we have in common is a deep passion for what we do and also just knowing that we had to keep going even through rejection to get to um, where we wanted to go. Yeah, well, that is mm -hmm. something every writer needs yeah. for sure. Yeah, oh, definitely. Gosh. And I guess one other thing you guys had in common is there's this family oral tradition of storytelling. Yes, yes. Right? I guess that begins with your grandmother. Yeah. So um, my mom came here from Colombia when she was in her 20s. Um, and shortly after, when she had us, my grandparents moved in with us and they lived with us for a lot of our childhood. And so my grandma, she's, she's so cute. She's like four foot seven. She's very <laughs> tiny, but she has the biggest personality. And my grandparents don't speak English. So this day um, very much. And so we spoke Spanish to them. And so Spanish was really kind of like our first language because in the household, we only really spoke Spanish. Um, and so every single night from when we were four years old, I think my grandma would come in a bundle of blankets and she would come to the end of our bed and she would tell us stories. Oh my God, and that sounds awesome. it, it was amazing because they were in Spanish and she just she's told them so well. And they were really scary um, because these are all like cautionary tales, almost like the Disney um, tales before they was were. Was she watered. making them up with these her stories or they were oh, sort of like stories? That so that's interesting. So um, so she told us these stories and there were a few in particular that really inspired my first book Emblem Island and so when I was getting it published I wanted to go back and so I called my grandma I was like hey what is that story called and she she didn't really know and so I was looking it up and I was like wait you didn't make that up right like it's a real story and she's like of course it's real like my grandma told me her grandma whatever and so I found it eventually but it was really beautiful um, because I found out that these traditions, they were oral traditions. And so she, they didn't write it down anywhere. My my grandmother doesn't have it written she down. She should write a book. I, I know, right? Yeah. I, I, I always tell her that. And so she didn't write it down. Her mother didn't. Her grandmother, it's 
just all orally passed down through yeah. um, through our family and other families have those stories too but because they pass them down orally they change a little bit so I was able to find that same story she had told me but it was different it had a different ending it, the mm-hmm. middle was a little bit different and so I just think that's so beautiful that for so long for thousands of years really stories have been passed down orally and lost unfortunately so I think it's, it's really amazing that I get to do this and write my stories and have them published because my grandma's stories and, and my ancestors' stories, like they, they were never written down. And yeah. so it's it's really interesting. Yeah. Now, you were also inspired by, I know, Harry Potter. Were there other influences on what led you to write these first books? Oh, so my first books, I, I think I was really interested, first of all, in that one story. It was called La Niña con la Estrella en la Frente, which means the girl with the star on her forehead. Um, and it was about a girl with the star on her forehead. And, and she had a wicked sister who would try to like scratch off the star. And the more she tried to scratch it off, the more beautiful it became. And I thought that was so cool. I wanted to have a star on my forehead. And so um, that was the kind of the, the basis of the world of Emblem Island for my first book. Um, other inspirations, I think anything that I really loved as a kid um, I'm, I'm thinking the even like the Junie B. Jones series like it, it was these like touchstones in my life of these books that were almost like lifelines and you would go to the bookstore and and I really loved reading from a very young age so I think I just for the Emblem Island series in particular I was just trying to capture that like 8 to 12 year old Alex and like what she loved and put that all in there um, while also incorporating a lot of the stories that really inspired me to become an author that came from my grandma. So you go from your grandmother and these other books to (laughs) Penn. So Penn undergrad and you're an English lit major there I think? Yes. Yes. How did that training... I will assume that that training helped you in some way. How did that help your writing? Yeah, so to be honest, I think... The, the biggest training I had for writing books was writing books. Like I started writing books when I was 12, very unsuccessfully. I started trying to get an agent when I was 12. And so I was just in my bedroom writing books. <laughs> but time out. So yes. how, what was your, I, I totally agree. Yeah. A lot of it's just getting the reps in. Yeah, yeah. But how, what was your attempt at an agent oh. at 12 years old? Oh, so when I was 12 years old, I wrote a book and it was, it was 400 pages. It was a horrible book, but it was a book, <laughs> right? And so when you're 12 years old, the beautiful thing is you think you can do anything. And I think that that's like a childlike quality that we should all kind of try to get because you really think you can accomplish anything. You don't know how hard things are. And so you think you can do anything. And so at 12 years old, I seriously thought, oh my gosh, I wrote a book. So next week it's going to be in stores. The next week it's going to be on the movie screen. And that's amazing. I'm an author now. Um, Obviously, that's not how it works. But I googled how to get a book published. And it became very clear that I would need a literary agent. And so I was like, okay, great. So I had my mom drive me to Barnes & Noble. And I got a book called Guide to Literary Agents. You know it. And it was long enough ago that it was still you had to like mail in queries Mm -hmm. and queries um, for anyone that isn't familiar are like emails that you send to agents with a little pitch of your book, a little bit about yourself in a few pages. And I started. I love that your mom's supporting you through this whole process. I I honestly think that's amazing. For for a very long time, I was writing these books and no one knew. But I think when I kind of tried to explain to them, they they were like, okay, whatever. Like they they just thought it was a phase or something that like they didn't really understand what I was trying to do. um, and so I I got the guide to literary agents. I emailed like a hundred different agents. Um and I actually I have a, a funny story that maybe I'll I'll tell at the end because it really um it ties back to everything. But the first agent I queried, I thought, okay, she's gonna be my agent. And it was the agent of Twilight because that was my 
very favorite um, book series at that time. <laughs> and so that was my first agent. Obviously, everyone rejected me for many, many years. And so that's how I started trying to get an agent. Is Did I you would save wait. any of these responses? These would be great to have in an album or a I frame or something. I tried to find them, but I, it was, again, long enough that I was using an AOL account. And I tried to go back and AOL just deleted everything. Like, I don't have my account anymore. And so it's really sad, but also probably better that I don't have <laughs> evidence of all of those rejections. But yeah, I did try. And that's how I tried. I obviously did not tell anyone I was 12 years old, but I queried the same way that you're supposed to. Yeah. I sent queries and, and I got a lot of rejections. Oh, that's so great. I love yeah. that. So Penn helped you with repetition and you're around yeah. other writers trying to do it, I suppose. Some, yeah. some professors, anyone stand out with yes, an influence I, on Yes, I had an amazing professor who really taught me to kind of um, strip my language of all of the, I think when we become writers, especially when we're first trying to write, it's very flowery, lots of descriptions. And he was the first person that really taught me to be simple with the writing and that simple could be really effective and good. And so my my style really changed a little bit during his class because I, instead of trying to make it flowery and mm-hmm. descriptive, I really tried to get to the point, um, which I think I probably do a little bit too much now and I have to go back and add descriptions. Um, but that was really helpful. And just having an atmosphere where I had time to write my books. Um, so I, I was in the college and I loved my college experience. It was amazing. And it really gave me time outside of the classroom to write books. So I was writing books all through middle school, high school, college. And so um, the classes themselves were were great. But I truly think my education of writing books was writing books mm-hmm. um, over and over and having them get rejected and, and going back to the drawing board. and um, But yeah, it, w- it was it was great to have those creative writing classes and have those seminars where everyone brings in work. And, and the, I think the most important thing I got from my classes at Penn were the workshops when you had to bring your own work in and then you had to give feedback on other people's work. Yeah. It really made me less precious with my words. And at first, like when you're a new writer, anything anyone says about your writing is so personal and it hits you right in the chest. And having those classes really taught me that it's not personal. It's just you, feedback is feedback and you either take it or leave it. And so mm-hmm. that was really helpful as a new writer to kind of flex that muscle of editing and, and taking yeah. feedback and not not being so precious with my words. That probably helps your relationship with your current editor. Too. Yes. They're always trying to like kid glove like, well, maybe I if know. you change this. I know. It really like... taught me to love edits. I love yeah. the editorial process. I really like it because I love to feel like I'm growing in some way. I really loved school and I think that that's part of why I do like, like, please send me the long edit letter. Mm-hmm. I want to like break everything apart and put it back together. Um, and so, yeah, that was really helpful. Yeah. Few, few writers are that way. Yeah. <laughs> Given that you started putting yeah. in the blood, sweat, and tears about yeah. 10 years earlier than yeah. most writers do, mm-hmm. you managed to get out of college and break through about 10 years sooner than most writers do. Yeah. So you really went from college to very quickly getting an agent and a deal. That must have been yes. kind of a heady time to be, you know, so soon to college and then hitting success right away. Yeah. On, in retrospect, you I do see that, wow, that was so quick. Um, in the moment, it didn't feel that way because I was, again, querying for so long. And um, I got my first literary agent actually the day of graduation. I skipped my graduation um, because I had these agent offers. And I was like, why would I go to graduation? My life starts now. No, I'm an author. Great. And so I skipped all my, gradu- my graduation um, because I was going to go on the phone with these agents, choose my agent. And and I, I got my agent and I truly thought, oh my gosh, these last 10 years, it was all for this. I'm now going to be an author. And it did not work out that way. 
it, I had that book. We edited it all summer and we went out to publishers and everyone rejected it. So I parted ways with that agent and then suddenly I didn't have an agent anymore. And so it really felt like a gut punch because it felt like I was going back to 12 years old, sitting in my bedroom, writing these queries. I was writing queries again um, for a new book. And um, I wrote a few books actually before I wrote my first book that got me the agent. Okay. The Mm -hmm. the book that got you the first agent, but then was rejected. Did you abandon that one or did you take it back and rework it and go back out with it? I abandoned it. So it's in a bottom drawer somewhere. It is. It is. I have, I think about six or seven of those that will never be published um, throughout the years. But so in the moment, it did not feel like it happened so quickly. Obviously, yes, it happened. um, I think it was about a year and a half after graduation, I got my first book deal Mm -hmm. and that felt amazing. That, that was incredible. And it, but then after that, that book came out in the pandemic. And so most of the bookstores were closed or they had been closed for so long, so they weren't ordering new books. Mm-hmm. And so then I faced a completely new issue of, oh, wow, no one's buying my book right away. Yeah. Um, and so it didn't feel so quick. Um, and I think when writers are really in it, you can feel so hopeless and it can feel like just endless rejection. But truly what I learned is you can be in the pit of like endless rejection and then huge um, success or milestones are right around the corner and you just mm-hmm. never know yeah. what's going to happen yeah that's but you you certainly developed that resilience to yeah. break through those moments yeah well let's so th- that first book then was your first book of the emblem island, island series, series right? yes so let's let's take a, a moment on process then because yes. i think people are as you know when you go yeah. to these book events people want to know how do you do it yeah because you you have created this whole astroverse yeah uh sort of the you know the universe of yours that is full of magic and these great characters and curses and centuries of history so did you map out this Astroverse universe initially and then go to the book or so what came first and how do you start? Do you start with place or characters or? Yeah. So when I was writing, I really never thought about it as um, an Astroverse. I just that kind of came when I was like, oh, I'm going to publish like hopefully multiple books. And like this is the universe of my books. Um, so Emblem Island was first um, and then the sequel. Um, it was Curse of the Night Witch and then Curse of the Forgotten City. And then I was trying to get Lightlark published. And surprisingly, they have a lot of similarities that I didn't really notice until after they were all published. They all have islands, all have curses, all have magic. Apparently, that's my brand right now. But um, yeah, so I never really thought about it holistically. I just truly, since I was 12 years old, I've written what I wanted to read. That That's all. And I think that that's um, the advice I give writers when they ask me is just write what you want to read because this path is so full of rejection and so full of years and years of writing something that may or may not get published. And I've been through that. And so I think getting through it is a lot easier if you love what you're writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you do get published, you have to read that book like a 100 times. You know this like yeah. before it actually makes it onto shelf on the shelf. So you have to love it if you are going to be publishing something and writing something. And so I think that is the thread that ties everything together is truly just what I love to read. And that so far is what I've published. How about on the editing side? Do you edit as you go or do you sprint to the finish Mm -hmm. and then come back and and do it? That's a great question. So the process of writing the Emblem Island books and the Lightlark books were very different. So Emblem Island has a quest narrative. So it's very much like the hero's journey. And I found those to be a lot easier to write, not only because it was middle grade, but because of that, that structure. And so I wrote those very quickly um, because I I work well when I'm just kind of sitting in front of a computer and writing 10,000 words a day, just like all day writing. And so I did that for a few months. You get 10,000 a day sometimes? When I'm writing all day. And that's Mm -hmm. that's the 
top. I, I know of writers that have written more or less, but that's the most. Um, but I tr- I cannot just write for two hours and then do other work. I have to be writing all day mm-hmm. um, for it to work, or I have to start writing at 6 p.m. and then write until 2 o'clock in the morning. And so for the Emblem Island books, they were a quest. So I could very easily um, start at the beginning and end at the end. And so I did that for those books. I wrote them for the first draft. I just wrote all the way through to the end, and then I went back and edited. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, during that process, I do find it helpful when I'm stuck to just go back and reread my work aloud. I'm not really editing it unless I see like a typo, but I'm just kind of rereading it and getting myself back into the the place that I ended when I was writing the day before. For Lightlark, it was really different because Lightlark has all these different plot lines and plot twists at the end and everyone's lying to each other and there's big betrayals and you, you don't know the mystery until the very end. And so I knew I needed an outline. And so that was the first time I ever used an outline. Mm-hmm. And so I knew basically the whole story before I wrote the first draft. I did start writing a few times and then realized I, I don't know where this is going. I have to go back and, and write this full outline. There were things that changed and, and I had many, many drafts for Lightlark. Um, but in terms of getting that first draft down, now I always use an outline. I, I was just going to say, how are you going to do it yeah, going forward? You, you I always use an outline. An outline. Yeah. I So I used to think, and I think a lot of writers probably thought this way too, um, like I used to, is that outlines kind of um, take the magic out of the process and so much of writing is discovery and I think that's amazing if you have years to write your books and if you're not in a rush writing and like kind of feeling your way through the story is amazing I just think that at least in my experience writing that way leads to cutting like half the book or like having to rewrite it Mm -hmm. and so in terms of just efficiency I have found that writing an outline um, saves me a lot of time and um, words that I have to delete later because for me I just think about it as it's a lot easier to delete 200 words in an outline than it is 200 pages in a book Um, because when I write an outline it's not so formatted or fancy or anything it's really just the scenes or the big points in in all caps Mm -hmm. and um, um, I, I write first an outline where I know the beginning, I know the midpoint, I know the all is lost moment, and I know the twist at the end. And so I have all of that. And then I start writing, and then I, I stop, and I go back. And then once I have the shape of the story, I will put scenes in. And so I'll even actually write an outline after the first draft is done. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's so much easier to look from a, a bird's eye view and say, oh, wow, there's way too much action here. Or you don't see this character for 200 pages. It's hard when you're reading a 500 page book at once or like over a few days to see what is not working. Um, But for an outline, especially when you color code, like, for example, the romance parts or the action parts, it's really easy for me to see then, okay, this is why it's not working. Nothing happens for 100 pages. I totally agree with you. I think having an outline, and and as you know, people who've been on the show, it's almost 50-50 people outline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it helps. People don't outline because they think it takes some of the gas out of the creative. For me, I, I really feel like the outline relieves some amount of tax on my brain so that Mm-hmm. If I've got the outline, I don't need to think about that. Now I can really just focus on the the dialogue or yeah. creating the moment that I know is going to happen and yeah. the next moment that's coming because all of that stuff is kind of figured out. It yeah. makes it easier for me to do the writing piece I of it. agree. I think it also helps with writer's block because if you know what's going to happen, 
Mm-hmm. You're not just looking at an empty page. You know what you need to write. Now, writing is a different story, but um, it does help for me, at least with writer's block, to, to know where I'm going. Yeah, I guess the machine going a little bit. You can at least yeah. move your hand over the yeah. page a little bit or type some keys if you're doing the outline. Like, exactly. There's no pressure on that. It's so yeah. easy to start It's like a map through the jungle is what I think about it as like you kind of know where you're going, but how you get there, you can always change it. It's just, you know, the shape of the story, which I think is at mm-hmm. least for me really important when I'm starting. How about early readers? Is your mm. sister still one? And are there <laughs> oh, others? absolutely not. No, I, I I don't think she even read um, my books until like years after they were published. I think she just <laughs> read Light Lark. Yeah. Um, no, she's we she's very busy and she does not read my work now. Um, I early reads. I have some author friends. I have one in particular who is a very fast reader. And so sometimes I'll send her something and mm-hmm. she will get back to me in like an hour. It's it's kind of um, amazing how fast she reads. And so um, um, but mostly it's like my agent and and um, now with this the schedule, a series schedule, it's it's tough. You don't have the time in between to really send it to people and, mm-hmm. and give them a month to get back to you. Um, it but, is nice yeah. to have an agent who can play that role. Yes. Because it is, it's a lot to ask of a writer friend. It is. They're all busy to it like is. pile on another book on them. Like, hey, <laughs> give me some feedback on the manuscript. They're like, oh, come on. Exactly. No, so. <laughs> I, I definitely have to use those like asks very, um, yeah, yeah, sparingly. very sparingly. Right. <laughs> Um, how about names of, so this is, I know you had, I read some connection to Taylor Swift. You're, you're a fan or you're influenced or something like that. Do you name villains in your books after anyone in your life that you are unhappy with? That's so funny. So that started off as a kind of a joke on social media because I did do that with especially early drafts. Um, Whenever I'm writing a book, I really need a name. I cannot write a character. I could not write a scene without a name. And so Mm. I have a lot of placeholder names. And and a few times I was like, hmm, I really need a name for this villain or this person that something really bad (laughs) happens to. What name should I use? And then you you name it after someone you don't like um i don't end up having them in the finished copy yeah. um, for two reasons one because i don't want to get sued and um two because their names are never interesting enough to be in a fantasy mm. book you can't have um like a chad in your right. in your fantasy Fred, book Fred Fred. Johnson. Yeah, yeah you can't you can't have that so i do change them but it really kind of became a joke um within like my social media that has now taylor I've, swift ever been sued I don't know. I, I think wonder. she probably has really good lawyers. She's got good lawyers. Um, yeah, you wouldn't want to and, take that on. And I think, yeah, I I think she's amazing. And um, I did. I think the connection with Taylor Swift is that she says that if you don't want a song written about you, don't do bad don't things. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. Right? And and I think yeah, it's the same thing. If you don't want a yeah. book written about you, or do, you don't want your name in a book, just don't don't yeah. do bad things. And so, so where do you, like I, I in the past, if I was doing fiction, sometimes yeah. I'm in a library, I'll look at the spine of a book. Oh, and I'm just like, nice. So there's some certain authors whose yeah. names I've sort of zigzagged and combined. And things oh, like I that, love but. that. That's really interesting. I use like baby name websites because a lot of yeah, it's, it's I think it's a secret of authors. Like we all use um, baby name websites, um, especially because for my books, you have the different realms and you. You need like a celestial name or you need a name that's kind of a nature name and so i really you can type in like baby names based on like the moon and like a, a lot will come out and so i i use that and then i've also definitely done what you just said kind of looked around and 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 saw something in my life that was like that's a really good name and yeah. i always joke with um my readers when i'm in when i'm signing on tour that like oh i really like your name if it ends up in my book you know <laughs> <laughs> where it is uh, i haven't done that yet but maybe one day yeah well, now you're you're a big enough star. You could take the approach that others do, which is to auction it off, you know, for oh, some charity, yeah. and someone will pay 
lots of money to your charity and they get to have their name in the books. I think that's really interesting. I think that would be a really cool way to to name someone. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I got to ask you about social yeah. media yeah. and TikTok. Yeah. You, so listeners may not know, you have an extraordinary story with TikTok mm-hmm. where you're, it was the first book in this series, right? In the, in the, the Lightlark series. In the Lightlark yeah. series, where you created a short video yeah. for TikTok. And TikTok, as, as many writers know, Instagram has been a good place to try and mm-hmm. reach readers and sell books. But TikTok has now yeah. emerged as an amazing place to do that. And you created a short TikTok video that exploded and, you know, it's a sort of a famous story mm-hmm. within the writing industry, yeah. but listeners may not know it. Can you take us through that? Of course. So I had been writing since I was 12 and I had been getting rejected for a very, very long time. I did get my first book deal um, about a year and a half after college. The book came out and I love that series so much. It's just it came out during the pandemic. And again, a lot of the bookstores were closed. And so it didn't immediately find its audience. It did eventually in paperback. It's doing very well. I love that book. Um, but in those months afterwards, it, it was not a hit. And so the interesting thing about publishing is if a book doesn't sell super well, other publishers know because they can look at the sales on BookScan. Uh, BookScan. Damn that BookScan. Book yeah. <laughs> and so I was writing um, Lightlark for a few years at that point, and I, it's a young adult fantasy series. And so that was my dream. Since I was a little kid, um, I wanted to write a young adult fantasy series because that, those were the series I loved when I was a teenager. And so that was my goal, and I was told by many people that it would not sell because that genre was the hardest to get a book deal in. It was so saturated. Um, 
books publishers were not acquiring a lot of books in that in that segment and also you have a, a not so good sales track so good luck right and so I wrote it anyway I truly just wrote what I wanted to read and I thought like there has to be someone out there that loves the story as much as I do and so I got another agent for that um, I got a lot of agent rejections at that point, too, even though my my first book series had gotten starred reviews. It was named one of the best books by Crickus. That really didn't matter so much, which was really disheartening um, because you think, oh, my gosh, I've made it to this point. It matters. And, and it didn't. I still got many rejections. But I did find an agent who believed in Light Lark and we edited it for a little bit. And then we went on submission, meaning we, we went out to different publishers and one after the other after the other, all these rejections just started coming in and it felt like deja vu like I'd been on that track before not getting a book deal um and it just really seemed like if this doesn't happen what do I do um and so I felt really helpless and so I think we had gotten 16 rejections from publishers and uh, many of them said they loved the book but they just didn't think it would sell they didn't think anyone would buy it um because of the marketplace for various reasons and so I thought what if I just went straight to the readers? Like, someone has to like this book as much as I do. Like, I think it's amazing. Obviously, I'm biased, but, like, maybe I can find a readership. And so I, we had two publishers left, um, and both of them were interested, but they didn't know um, one of them, the publisher I'm with now. Um, my editor really loved the book, but the sales track was really kind of making it a question of whether they could offer or not. And so I made this video, and I thought, what do I have to lose at this point? I posted on TikTok. It was basically me pitching my book to the internet saying, would you read a book about this? It had the entire pitch of the book. It was produced. I mean, you had animations. Oh. <laughs> and, you know. I mean, I just, I made it like on the TikTok app. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was my pitch. It was, um, would you read a book about an island that appears once every hundred years to host a game where six rulers fight to break their deadly curses? For all of the curses to be broken, one of the six rulers has to die and one will win a bunch of power. There's plot twists, there's enemies lover's romance i had the whole pitch and i posted it and it got no views it for hours it got no views and so i almost deleted it because i was like oh my gosh i'm proving these publishers right no one wants to read this book (laughs) and so but i i truly at that point was like i have nothing to lose at this point like i'm hoping that like a publisher sticks around but i don't really know and so i posted that video and a day later i was sitting in a parking lot and i looked at my phone and it had almost a million views it had gone viral overnight and i i still don't know like it you that was so much luck like the algorithm who knows what it does it was just it was pure luck that at that moment that video did that I'm not even sure a video like that would do well nowadays like it was just perfect timing too because it was during the pandemic and there was a new readership developing on TikTok and so Mm -hmm. it was just so many different parts of luck in that moment that I had posted it that day and in that type of moment and um, it went viral and so I was able to kind of use that as proof of like people do want to read this yeah. and um, and so then we we went to auction with the um, remaining publishers and I was able to get my my first young adult book deal and it really it changed my life too because when I got that deal immediately I thought okay I have all these people to thank I owe them for giving me this book deal without them like having this enthusiasm I don't think I would have like you know been taken on at this level and been given a chance um, to do this and so I made it very clear and it was amazing that my publisher was on board that I want my audience to be involved in every step of the process so for the first time ever um, my audience poked picked my book cover and so we they fully developed two different covers they picked the cover I took them behind the scenes of the cover reveal um, and then the movie deal happened through TikTok too and so um, just to try to make that short I was posting obviously about my book this entire year and a half before Light Lark actually came out 
from that video until the release date. And um, someone who worked at the production company that did the Twilight movies and the John Green movies and a bunch of the um, young adult franchises, they saw a lot about my book. And so they reached out to my agents and they said, can I read it? And you know, this stuff happens all the time. It had happened so many times and never went anywhere. So I kind of knew it was happening, but I didn't get my hopes up. So many things in publishing are like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And so she read it and she actually read a very old version of the book, unfortunately, like the first time. And she was kind enough to read the current version. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've, I've ruined it. It's not going to happen. And so she read that version and we got on a call and she loved it. But I, I still didn't think it was going to go anywhere. But then she shared it with the team um, at the production company and they also loved it and they they believed in it. And so I got on a call with them. I was like, OK, but still, I did not <laughs> right. think anything was going to happen because so much stuff like builds up and never happens. And then um, I think it was about... A month or two later, I got a call that was like, Universal wants to make this into a movie. And I have a video up of my reaction because I called everyone in my life and not one person answered. <laughs> no one answered. It's always like that, right? No one answered. And so I was like, what do I do? And so I took a video. I was like, I need to record this moment because I I will never forget this moment. It mm-hmm. really, it was life-changing for me. When did you get the call? How long ago was that? Um, that was, it was... About a year and a half ago, because it was, I believe, in April or May. Um, before it was before so the book we're came out. in and out of strikes and all that stuff. Oh yes, now. yes. And you're an EP. I read. Yes, for the yes. So I movie. that was negotiated later. I'm an executive producer, but in that moment, it really felt like that was something I dreamed when I was 12. I never yeah. actually thought it was going to happen, and for it to be because I put myself out there on social media, like that's how she found it. And again, it's luck. Like you just, I. If I hadn't put it out there, if she hadn't seen it, if she hadn't loved it and advocated for it, none of this would have happened. Yeah. And also Universal, they they believed it in it before the book even came out. Um, so it's definitely um, a lot of pressure to be like, what <laughs> what if the book comes out? Um, and it doesn't do well, but it, it did. And um, I'm just so grateful to social media and the platform because I tried to get it in the traditional way. And I did. And my book didn't blow up right away. It did not um, do the things that like I dreamed of it to do. And so I really... Really, I turned to social media and I said, like, it was kind of a way to get past the gatekeepers and say, like, yeah. I know you don't think this will sell, but let me go straight to the readers and like ask them, would you buy this book? And for so many of them to say yes, it really I'm so grateful because during that time, I I did not believe in myself. I thought, okay, I've written yet again a book no one wants to read. Mm -hmm. And so really more than anything, them saying the thousands of comments saying, yes, I would read this really was validating. And it felt like, you know, you're you're reaching your hand out to the universe and like people are reaching their hand back. Mm -hmm. And during that time, it was so isolating. Um, It was really nice to have that connection with my readers. And I haven't stopped since. I've been able to now meet them on in person for the tours, but it was a really wild way for it to happen after so many years of doing it the traditional way, sending out queries, trying mm-hmm. to get an agent, um, you know, doing it the traditional way and then saying, okay, if the doors aren't going to let me in, I'm going to make my own door. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it, to circumvent that traditional yeah. avenue. And mm-hmm. you're a great example of being able to reach readers in this yeah. direct way and and succeed with it. Thank you. So before we get in the lightning round, I, I want to ask you because... Yeah, I know you're toward the end of the book tour, yes. and you know, as writers know, after you've done a couple of weeks of this, you've done several yeah. dozen events. Yeah. You, you become like that stuffed animal. You can pull the string <laughs> on the back and, like, blah, 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 and say the yeah. say all the riffs yeah. about your your book. So give us the riff on Nightbane. Why? Uh, because you're obviously an expert yeah. at being able to sort of get to the punchy. Oh. Uh, 
you know, reason why the book is important to read. Great. Well, I kind of gave the light lark pitch before, and um, this is the second book in the series. And the cool thing and, and what I wanted to do with these books is Nightbane actually starts exactly where light lark ends. So you can actually read them like one giant book. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have the first one, it ends in a cliffhanger, just a warning. You're going to want to, it's it's kind of, you finish that page and you can directly read the next page. It's almost really as if you can and put them in one book. Um, but there's more adventure. There are more really big plot twists. I've gotten a lot of reactions to the ending, um, very emotional reactions, which is always fun. Um, there is really strong enemies to lovers. Um, you also get to learn more about the world beyond Lightlark, and you get to learn about the year before um, the centennial happened. So what I tried to do with this book is it's a sequel, but it's also kind of a prequel, which anyone who reads Lightlark knows what that means. It's like pretty significant to the ending. It's one of the things you find out. You really want to know what happens the year before. And so um, this book gives it to you. And I just, I'm really excited that it's out in the world. And it was so many months and years of my life to, to work on this series. And so I, I'm really happy that people are enjoying it. And I hope, I hope they like it. Yeah. Great. All right. So I lied. One more question before the lightning round. <laughs> okay. What's up now? Are you going to have time, you know, Ooh. with all the movie involvement, which I want to yeah, hear about yeah, too, yeah. but are you working on the next one as, as well? So um, it is a little bit under wraps, but yes, I am working on um, something that has to do with the Light Lark series. Who knows what it is? But um, <laughs> we're getting nods and yeah, winks from the publicist really? in the corner. Like, how much can be said? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So I am. I'm. Am writing right now. I'm on a super deadline. Um, and I'm. I'm just. I feel very lucky to get to work in this universe and it truly is because of the readers. It's so hard to put a series out there and I understand why um, people thought like this market was so saturated and wouldn't sell because it is really saturated and I think um, I, I feel very lucky because without the readers like I would have never been able to have the series so the fact that I can even go beyond what was at first just a two book series um, is really because of them so I'm, I'm really grateful and yes I am writing right now. Awesome. Congrats. Well yeah. the espresso in the martini will help with that. Which <laughs> yes. by the way I'm loving this Yeah, it's really good. Thank you. Okay, so to the lightning round with Alex Astor. Okay. Your favorite book as a kid. Ooh, um, my favorite book was Anything by Meg Cabot. She wrote the Princess Diaries series, but mm-hmm. I actually love her other books like the most. Um, she has the 1-800-WHERE-YOU series and the Mediator series. And I just, she was the first author that I ever went to the bookstore and just was like, what do you have by her? Nice. We're talking about having her on, aren't we, Mike? Oh She's gosh. in Florida or something, right? Yeah. I've yeah. never met her, and she was at the one of the book festivals I was at. I didn't see her. She had left, and I just, yeah, I, I want to one day be able to tell her that she really inspired me to become an author. So I, Nice. Yeah. Well, we hope to have her on. Yeah. Meg, come to New York. <laughs> yes. Come, come see us on Dedicated. Yeah. Book or books you're reading now? Um. Oh, so right now I am rereading In the Woods by Tana French. I love thrillers and mysteries, and that's why I always try to have like a plot twist element in my books. But I find that when I'm writing, for example, fantasy, I have to read something else. So that's that's why I'm I'm reading um, Tana French right now. Nice. All right. This gets back to the heritage yeah. place in Colombia that every American should visit. Um, I think Americans should visit Bogota. It's the capital. It's where most of my family is from. It's where my mom is from. It's really beautiful. Um, the weather is um, actually kind of, it gets kind of cold. It has like many seasons. It's, it's beautiful and it's like framed by mountains, which I don't know is like what people expect. Um, it's like a bustling, beautiful city. There's so much culture. The food is amazing. So I think everyone should go to Bogota. Do you Bogota. get back there a lot? Um, not a lot, but I, I did. I have been there and with my mom and it's really special to see her moments and her memories and mm-hmm. just the, the way that she grew up. It's, it's really special and the, the people are so nice. 
All right. It's on my list. Yeah. Favorite Colombian food. Oh, okay. So it has to be, um, I have two. Um, the first is Hugo de Mora. It's Colombian um, food is famous for like our beverages. It's almost like a smoothie that you like drink before your meal. Um, and I think it's blackberry juice, but it's so pretty. It's a pink color. It's amazing. Um, and then my second is caldo de cosquilla. Um, it's like a soup with meat and potatoes and herbs. And my grandparents still every single Sunday wake up at six o'clock in the morning and they make it for us, especially when I'm visiting. And it's it's just so good. Is that one of the things that fills the house yes, with great it, smells? It is and... a giant pot that they have had for a very long time. And then they serve <laughs> it with arepas. And we actually have like a, a pan that looks like it's been burnt to a crisp, but it's because they've used it for a very long time. And it's just so good. Oh, that sounds yeah. great. Least attended book event ever. <laughs> okay, so um, when I was publishing the Emblem Island series, I did not have the following that I have now. Um, no one knew who I was. And so the first event that I had actually right before the pandemic, um, I went to an event and they were so nice to like, my publisher was so nice to, to invite me there. Um, but the reality is like when no one knows who you are, no one's going to come um, sign your book. But I remember being on the train on the way there and being like, oh my gosh, I need a signature. And so I figured out my signature now um, that is still my signature on the train ride there. It turns out I didn't really have to use it that much. <laughs> uh, but people like kindly kind of were like, oh, okay. And the books were free. It was an event where the books were free. So did you, you credit, kind of created a artistic way that you were going to sign yes, books different yes. from how you would sign checks in earlier yes, years yes in my how, so what did you do different so my signature is actually something that i got got a lot of comments about it's um it's a star a and then it's a big cursive a around it mm-hmm. um but people think that it is like something it is not like people think it's like um a pentacle or something and i'm like it is literally an a um they think uh-huh. it's the avenger sign um but i came up with that and now i think I think hopefully my readers do like the signature. Well, that's cool. and so, I feel like Kurt Vonnegut or somebody used to have like a really? special signature that he would yeah, do. Yeah, I, I do it, and I, it, I'll show you. Um, Amor Tolles has this little stamp. Like he'll sign it, and he'll like oh, put like a you know library stamp on it that's you know custom yeah. to his name. That's really cool. Yeah, I came up with the signature, and so I did not have to use it very much. It is definitely a humbling experience to have a book and have no one like want to um, read it or see it. I was spared by a lot of those events because of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was like because there were no events. Um, I didn't have events that would be very low um, attendance. And then after when my book came out, that was after I'd grown on social media. But I definitely did have those moments. And I still did um, in the early days of Light Lark where I would go to a book festival and like people just hadn't read it yet. And so the other people have way longer lines and it's definitely a humbling experience but it does get better um and i think yeah well, hang every... on to those moments it keeps yes. your feet on the ground oh definitely by the way don't let me forget to have you sign okay my you copy of your signature. book later <laughs> yeah, I see it. strangest moment or question ever at a book event. oh oh my like everyone who shows up i i love them and i i really kind of annoy um the publishing team because I take a lot of time to talk to everyone um, because I really feel grateful that they're there and it doesn't seem like any of this is real like truly I want to thank every single person when I see them like how did you find out about thank you so much and so many people are like I saw that first video I commented and like you you get to hug them and talk to them so I do talk a lot which means that my events go like way past um, what they should but the strangest thing because I talk so much I get a lot of um, (laughs) questions and um, I wouldn't call it strange because I don't want them to feel bad but I definitely 
actually get a lot of questions saying like, can I be in the movie? <laughs> and I'm like, I wish I had that power. I'd be like, yes, you know what? You will be in the movie. Um, I am an executive producer, but I'm not like- You've the got to negotiate a cameo at least for yourself. I know. Yeah, I, I get that question a lot too. I also get like people ask like, are you going to be the main character in the movie? And I'm like, what? Like, no. <laughs> so that's like, um, they're so sweet like to even like say like, oh, can I be in the movie? Um, but that's- Have you gotten to the casting point of the movie yet or so because yet? we were on the strike for so long uh, we had really big news right before the strike and then mm-hmm. the strike happened so everything was on pause and like rightfully so like, i'm glad that it came to like a good resolution but um we are right now like back in development we have not casted yet okay. so when, when we do um if i'm allowed i will tell everyone but it is there's so many secrets i can't say yeah. um and it's it's really hard because when i meet the readers it really feels like we're friends and i want to tell them i really do but i always fear like people will start coming out from the ceiling and like yeah. you know you don't want to jinx anything and legally maybe yeah. you can't even do it uh, yeah anyway, so. yeah <laughs> Last question for Alex after okay. one piece of advice for the listeners. Okay, so I remember to I mentioned before that I would tell a story at the very end and I mentioned when I was trying to get an agent that the first agent I ever queried was the agent that represented Twilight and she was my dream agent for that reason. In every single book I would write, I wrote like six different books through middle school and high school and college. She was the first one every single time. Every single time was a rejection. And now she's my agent. So I think what I tell a lot of people is a no is just a no for now. It's not a no forever. And I like to tell that story because people say like, oh, are you so bitter against like the people who rejected you? And no, like this, I understand. Like it, it really is just not the right timing a lot of times, but that doesn't mean it will never be the right timing. Mm-hmm. And so that person that I really wanted to represent me, like everything worked out and like she rejected me so many times, but now she's my biggest advocate for my work. And so mm-hmm. I tell that story and really my advice is, don't let rejection get you down. Like truly, it is only the end. Like you are, it is only a no forever. If you stop, if you keep going, you always give yourself more chances. If I had stopped when my first book didn't immediately do well, if I had stopped when we I got that agent and the book didn't sell, if I had stopped at so many various points, I would have never posted that video. And so, so many years of rejection and, and doing this got me to that point of luck. And, and really, so much of this is luck and finding the right moment and writing the right thing at the right time and finding the right person who's going to believe in your work, your, whether that's your agent or your publishing team. It is so much out of our control. And the only thing we can do is just keep writing and not giving up. And so that's why I tell people, I think it's really easy to look at something and look at the amazing parts of anyone's career and say, oh, it's an overnight success. Or, like, I could never do that. But there's so many years, like, usually behind that that you don't see. Um, and so I just would hate for people to be like I was as a kid, to see people um, who had done this and say, oh, they did that so quickly, I must not be good enough. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. We all get rejected. And so if really my advice is to, to writers, if you're doing this, if you're in the query trenches, if you're getting rejected, just write the other book, write another mm-hmm. book. And and one day, like that hard work and your talent will meet luck. And and yeah, I just think keep going is the message. And that's that's great advice. It's not a no forever. It's yeah. a no, for just now. a no yeah. for now. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great advice for Everyone all walks yeah. away. Unless you're a drunk guy in a bar. That, that could be a no <laughs> that forever. That is a no, but, yes. <laughs> or maybe not. Who knows? Maybe yeah. sober up. Try again. Yeah. Alex, what a pleasure. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you so Great much for you. having me. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please download, rate, subscribe, write a comment. Let me know the authors you want to hear from. I read all the comments. Thank you.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.